0: You're listening to the ConsumerFi podcast, powered by Nordridge, loan software that accelerates change. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast today. I'm really excited to have uh, Paul Machine, who's the uh, director of international and U.S. strategic accounts. That's a mouthful for BlackBook. Paul, welcome to the pod.
1: Thank you for having me, Joel. I'm looking forward to having a robust conversation centered around all things uh, automotive and the lifeblood of the industry is vehicles.
0: Amen, brother. Well, Paul and I met uh, a couple of weeks back, maybe a month back uh, on Auto Transport Intel. That's a Jay Wertzberger uh, production. And uh, thanks, Jay, for introducing us. And Paul, you were so kind as to helped me with getting a, a speaker for the Nortridge user meeting that we just had last week with Alex. And that went, uh, I just went, I, 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 it couldn't have gone any better. It was great. So I have to thank you up front for that, Paul.
1: Yeah. So, I, you know, um, Alex Yuchenko is one of our, when he gets on in front of a whiteboard and starts writing mathematical equations, I'm like, that's not math. I learned. <laughs> 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 you know, it's. It's this, It's that super ultra smart math that people do. It's a di- totally different language.
0: Yeah, people that don't know Alex, he was a he was he's a mathematician. He's a he was a uh, academic uh, right. for a number of years, and then we um, we decided to, to to show him the light. Right? right. <laughs> we have cookies. We have cookies. Uh, <laughs> so um, anyway, lots of stuff going on, and and the, and the topic we kind of wanted to get in today, Paul, was about really looking at. Uh, What you're calling the perfect storm, which has to do with like used and and new vehicle inventory shortages that we're aware of. Um, There's obviously a number of other topics we can kind of dive in on. But for those of you uh, who've been listening to the pod, first off, thank you for for listening. Please like and share uh, the pod. Uh, This is going to be probably one of the first ones. We're going to post this on YouTube as well. Because uh, Paul is uh, is great, and he brought some slides and some data that may enhance the conversation for the folks that are listening to the pod. Without the aid of of, of visuals, don't worry, we'll walk you through the slides. We'll make sure you follow along just fine. But Paul, um, I'm going to give you control. Do I need to give you control, or, or no? You don't uh, you can already you see have my it. screen. Yeah, I can see
1: your screen. Yeah, then I'm I'm good. You know, I can <coughs> start sharing. Cool. Uh, so, hey, so in. At the, the initial slide uh, talks about showcases all the use cases and more that BlackBook data and analytics can be used for. Uh, so as people dive into the slides and they see something about what's risk modeling, especially for lenders and investors, give us a call. We have a really robust uh, uh, data science team that handles risk modeling. We've been talking about for the last, actually for most of the, uh, the pandemic, is the need for the industry to adopt additional sourcing channels for high quality inventory, because we were looking really far ahead into the future, what what would happen because of the risk modeling factors that we take into consideration, and we felt that the majority of the industry was using a magic eight ball, you know, they would shake it up and whatever it, you know whatever the answer was was how, their business plan, whereas we take a look at all these elements, these data points, and. A lot of the data seems to be disconnected, but when you really connect the dots between these data points, it, it tells a really compelling story, especially if you understand all the ins and outs of our industry. Uh, so we started talking about the case for the driveway buy. And a couple of weeks ago, I introduced the coming perfect storm. And the, the first leg of that storm is the economy and the recovery. It, you know, It's no secret we're in a K-shaped recovery, right? where one arm is just exploding, and the the lower leg is really suffering. And I'll talk a little bit more in a few slides about that lower leg. Uh, Pillar, the storm number two, moratoriums and credit. What does that mean to the automotive industry as a whole? You know, we need inventory. So if dealers get inventory, they need a way to be able to sell and finance them. And lenders need a way to make quick decisions that reduce their risk and improve profitability for both them and for their dealer body, right? Yeah. So how does moratoriums and credit impact that, not just today, but six months from now, or in 2022, 2023, and so on? Uh, We'll have a discussion about that. And then perfect storm number three, which we're really starting to see uh, the the, the waves on that really swelling, is the reduced new new vehicle production and the shortage Mm -hmm. of used vehicle inventory. So when you combine all these three seemingly disconnected uh, events within our, within our industry and then connect them together, it's a compelling story. Yeah. Uh, so right now, going into the uh, new, new and used vehicle inventory shortage, I wanna be able to talk about in this slide here is our wholesale weekly price index. Uh, and the arrow points to the purple line, and this is this year, 2021, Last week, we were just below uh, 2009 levels, just right at the beginning uh, and end of the crash. Uh, And you could see where the 2019 levels for pricing and the 2020 levels, you know, rollercoaster ride for 2020. We see this trajectory. It just, it's like a fish jumping out of the water on wholesale prices. We finished 2020 with elevated wholesale price inventory. Nothing in 2020 was seasonal. Uh, that any of us in the industry, whether you're a lender, investor, dealer, wholesaler, uh, could actually trend. It was just all over the board. And we so saw yeah, the so, same. Go ahead. So,
0: so the chart for folks that aren't seeing it, we've got three, four years uh, shown with 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 a line chart starting at a at a, an original point of of one uh, on the chart. It's like a like an index. Okay, so two thousand nine. Um, you'll have to help me on that, Paul. That's the one that it's it's a pretty steady uh, blue line,
1: mm-hmm. almost like a forty five degree. I'm sorry, two thousand nine is the greenish, greenish line. Very yeah, and steady. I'm colorblind, so you got to help
0: me. Yeah, 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 okay. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a steady slope. Twenty nineteen, by example, shows the blue what I was, line. It's the, but it showed some seasonality where you start off at that point on day zero, and then it was the wholesale prices was dipping, right. and then coming back up. And it's week right. by week, so fifty-two along the x-axis. Then, shoot, twenty twenty was a total roller coaster ride. It started going right. up, took a huge dip, went into negative territory, and then blasted back up to max out at 2020, 2009 levels of like a one point two index. So, so twenty percent inflation. Here's the thing with twenty twenty one we're seeing is it's like a J curve for like an investor. There's a little dip into the negative with a very short duration. Then we are pitching straight up. I mean, the pitch of that line has got to be greater than, than it's got to be greater than forty-five degrees. But the thing is, it's 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 got, it's like if you bought a loan portfolio and it was it was really really taking a lot of early uh, defaults. That's right. what the line looks like. So what we're seeing is the price, the wholesale prices are increasing, and the and the line in the trajectory. There's no point of inflection. It's just going up
1: going straight up. And and these are the two to six-year-old vehicles that are running through the lane. Uh, So the hope is that that corresponding surge in pricing would also equate on the retail side of things. So we need to backfill a little bit about why we're seeing this pressure in the wholesale market. Uh, We started off the year talking about a potential reduction in new vehicle inventory uh, by almost a half a million units because of the microchip shortage. That is further exacerbated with the, the storms in Texas and the shutdown of the, of the pipeline, because who knew? Petrochemicals are and the byproduct, one of the byproducts is foam that makes seats. So we have manufacturers now that are having to adjust the allocation and production of their inventory for the OEs, for OEs for dealerships, based on what foam they have available to put into it for seats. Um, and yeah. 500,000 was at the beginning of the year, right? it could be as much as 700,000 short in new vehicle production. It's just, it's just an, uh, it's an estimate. Now that means that on top of the 14.4 million is the predicted in new vehicle sales for this year, the way a dealership, a new car dealership survives on average 130 new and used vehicles is what they need to sell a month. That's just the average. The OE's care that it's supposed to be more new vehicles than used if you're a franchise dealership and you're out, the whole reason why you're in business is to make a profit and you're not going to get the new vehicle inventory you're going to turn towards i need to sort of used vehicle inventory and we're not having a challenge at all in the auctions the auctions are selling out just about everything they got and yeah. they're selling out based on the numbers we see here at high premiums because everybody has a strong demand for that yeah and so that, that that is causing what price compression when we look at the retail listings that we compare year-over-year, year, um, and it's the same trajectory that you see that we saw on the previous slide. So this is the retail price listings on two to six-year-old vehicles. So what Blackbook does, part of our retail market intelligence is we scan the, um, the new car dealer and the independent dealer uh, websites, and we're looking for VIN numbers we haven't seen before. And in that process, we capture the VINs, the BDP, and we're tracking all the price changes, available inventory, and we get a lot of intelligence that tells us how consistent are these prices holding the line. Uh, So with that, we can end with the prevalence of one price selling, uh, that's more of our dealers are taking. It's pretty consistent. So we can say that this surge and increase in retail listings is consistent with the surge in the wholesale price uh, increase. Now, the challenge here is the profit hasn't increased. It's it's that compression is still there. So what becomes very critical for a dealer when they can't get all the inventory that they can turn, turn times is what's important to them in compressed margins. So now they're looking for ways to source more inventory because they can't get enough out of the auctions today. Uh, and so that's they're going to drive it
0: so they're going to be the big fish that's going to fill their belly at the auction, and then the independent uh, auto dealer manager that goes out there every you know once a week is going to sit there and say, "I for you, you're buying you're buying up all the good deal, right? You're buying up all the good collateral, and, and I'm kind of left with 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 less selection, if you will. Is, is that a factor?
1: Yes, sir. That's a huge factor because you know an independent dealer may not be able to compete on on price pressure." because he, he can't afford to retail out of it. yeah, um, and, and that segues into what the lenders are looking at on their scorecards. yeah. You know, that, one, that 130% plus 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 advance um, has been very much restricted now. And it's restricted to the K-shaped upper arm, right? The people who can afford to do mm-hmm. those advances uh, that, that are that are recovering very strongly in this economy. So that 130 plus plus, it, those individuals in the upper arm are less likely to need that kind of advance. They, the people who really need those kinds of loan advances are on the lower leg. So you're looking at this price compression all the way around. The good news is, is that we see changes in the industry that are uh, one, the driveway buy, by, where, uh, can, where the sharp dealer groups and the sharp wholesalers, and I see several large new entrepreneurial startups They're focused on the private party sale. They're buying vehicles directly from John Q Public without John Q Public having to buy anything from them. And they typically are paying less money for that vehicle and they're getting a higher quality, well serviced car at at the same time. Uh, So that's just one of the venues that we see growing in 2021 that will help the shortage of used vehicle supply that's running through the lanes. Now, part two of this has to do with the fleets. Uh, When you think about the fleets, and the, and the leased vehicles, you gotta think in terms of available inventory. So this slide here talks about wholesale prices, week ending March 16th, 2021. And the first square, I've encapsulated the segments. So we have the subcompact car, the compact car, mid-size car, full-size car, and near luxury car. Those are the volume segments, right? When you, that's, that's 75% of what's being sold today. In volume, that's encouraging because a, a, an independent or a franchise dealer or an investor who's looking to buy a portfolio business, if that if if their mix is comprised largely of those vehicles and they're trying to offload them now, it's a good opportunity for them because the average week over week last week the combined numbers were just a little bit north of five hundred and some odd dollars. Now those 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 cars are closer to eight hundred dollars and in. in total gain, which is tremendous when you think about that. In the truck segment, you see the subcompact crossover, the compact crossover, the mid-size crossover, full-size crossover, all the way to uh, full-size, I'm sorry, short to the um, compact luxury crossover. Again, the segment that represents higher volume, right? Those saw an increase that's almost as much as $800 on on the SUV combined. When you go to the small truck and full-size truck category, those guys are in this $600 increase week. Last week was just under five, this week is over six. And these are again, full volume category vehicles. So they're not limited, the the increase in pricing is not one segment of the market, it's across the board. So that's encouraging news.
0: So then for, wow, this is, I mean, so, so prices keep going up. I can't help, but kind of think of this in the form of, of trading, trading a stock or something like that. So you, you made a good point. If you're holding a bunch of this and you can sell it, uh, you may be able to sell it like your fleet vehicle, for example, maybe able to sell it through wholesale and get a decent return on it. Right. Then they're going to sit there and say, just like when people, you know, I'm in Southern California, the housing market is insane. I have people driving by my house asking to buy my house. No joke. I, I've heard that. I thought it was lore. It's for real. So it's like, okay, yeah, I'll sell you my house. I'll make a premium on it. But then where do I go? I need, I need a place to live. I need more inventory. So right. then if the new vehicle manufacturers are running into these issues, right? We got the chips. We got the petroleum issue. Um, I had Doug Neal from Sago a couple of weeks ago on the pod talking about third wheel towables right, right. rv mark he created a market for non-prime near prime to, to 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 be able to do these types of indirect transactions but their issue is there's all these there's all these third wheels and all these uh uh, uh recreational vehicles but they don't have fridges they don't have couches they don't have right. all the trimmings that they need to get the thing out the door So, you know, when I look at it in that context, we got that, we got chips, we got all this other stuff. What do you think the forecast, like, where's this going to peak out? You see what I'm saying? Like with the price increases, et cetera, like how about the counter cyclical guys that are like, I'm waiting for everything to dip. And that's when I'm going to really kind of replenish my inventory.
1: My last slide is going to be the wrap up. And I don't want to give the, I don't want to spoil the message. Right. So there's one more, one more point I want to emphasize about this slide. Okay. <laughs> so off-lease companies and fleet companies are now looking at their inventory and they're making some executive decisions because what they cannot get right now is their new inventory on order from the OEs. They're delayed, just like everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Their large orders, they're not getting them. So they have an aging fleet of high mileage vehicles, most likely have some, quite a bit of damage. And they're looking at these numbers that I'm sharing with you right now, and they're making executive decisions saying, I can offload these high-mileage damaged vehicles, and then I can go back into the in- industry and buy low-mileage late-model vehicles to replenish my inventory. Okay. So now we're competing against fleets and, ma- and, and lease manufacturers who are looking to purchase that, that same inventory as well, which is also going to drive pricing up. Now, what does that mean on the lender side of business? Are they going to? Will they be changing uh, their scorecard? How will they be considering advancing?
0: Max uh, LTVs, right? Max LTV, but you probably have to give some on that. If these things, yeah. although, do the valuations go up? Like, do they do they travel as well?
1: Well, if they're if they are basing it off of the true market valuations that we're showing, yeah. you should see that. And many lenders are using Black data and analytics to make mm. those those kinds of choices. But here's the trend that um, I've been watching. Um, And if you're familiar with a company called Constant.ai, they've been talking about this alternative trends and alternative data to backfill um, how lenders today can't really rely on beacon scores or FICO scores. So there's 1.2 trillion in auto loan debt now. If you think back to 2008, 2009, when the housing market crashed, it was about that same number. So it's kind of scary. 84.7 million auto loan borrowers in the nation. And I've been reading estimates that somewhere between 25 to 35% of that is in some form of a forbearance or moratorium on payment, mm. right? Which is significant when you think about that number. But what's encouraging is the, the human factor. The auto lenders, 50% of them now are using alternative data. Now, what is alternative data uh, and trends? It goes beyond the ability, stability, and willingness to pay. You, you know, they're not looking at, let me see your credit payment history on your credit report. Let's, let's verify your stability, how long you've been at your address. Let's see how long you've been working and what kind of income and what's your debt to debt to income. Right. They're actually looking at all these behavioral patterns, such as how did you pay your, your, your uh, utilities? What is your credit card usage? It might yep. be high, but are you paying it consistently every month, even though it's high, because you're, you're managing your debt? Uh, what type of employment? Are you in the upper, uh, upper leg of the, uh, you know, the case? Right, recovery? right. Or are you in the lower leg, which is a higher risk of, uh, of losing employment? Um, cash balances and checking savings, what kind of investments you have, they're going beyond the scope of, oh, you're an 800 beacon or 640 beacon. And that is what's driving some of the financial decisions moving forward. And, as, and we'll see more and more of that. Uh, Constant AI is a, is a platform that plugs in the middle between lenders and at-risk consumers and helps those customers figure out ways to restructure loans, maybe do a short payoff to get out of their current loan and into a newer vehicle that's less price so they can, make, they can afford the payments. So there's a right. lot of flexibility that we're seeing on the lender side of the business. I'm calling it the human factor. There's a lot of compassion in that 50% of the business, they're looking at the human factor because they recognize one thing. The pandemic has forced a lot of good credit customers into a bad credit situation. Mm-hmm. And it's against their ability, stability, and willingness to pay. And that has to change. So this is a from – and that, that's a hot link to TransUnion on their intelligence board that they have this information on. Cool. So we'll see how it goes with, the, with this government and the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau – and what they will do for the rest of this year to improve the lending, uh, make it easier, especially for the lower leg of the K-shaped recovery economy to be able to finance more vehicles, because we'll need that. And the last slide <clears throat> to answer your question, when do we anticipate this um, um, when, when you know stock market? When, when, when do we see it go back down? Uh, so the K-shaped recovery, talk about the lower leg here. Think in terms of, um, Retail uh, operations managers running seven or eight restaurants or or retail outlets. Think of general managers of 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 restaurant chains or or retail stores or uh, hotels and resorts. Uh, There's a lot of professionals in this lower leg that were paid very well. Uh, Now, those people need to find lower priced inventory to fit their new budgets. But when you're looking, we're predicting based on that, that uh, 2019 levels, new vehicle inventory will be below for at least the next three years. Sales will be below 2019 level and inventory levels we predict for new cars will be below 2019 levels for at least three years. Now, think in terms of what we sold last year. We sold just, under, uh, just a little bit more than 14.7, or just under 15 million. And that's 2022 trade-ins. 2023 trade ins. If, and we're, that means that we're going to have a lower supply of available low mileage late model used inventory because of how short sales were in 2020. We also have a moratorium on, on repossessions. Some estimates yeah. are 2.4 million repos are on hold right now. Yeah. No telling on when they'll come back into the market, if they ever will. Uh, so that's a bottom there. We also predict that the used vehicle inventory levels will also remain below 2019 levels because of those factors I just outlined earlier. Uh, so, and that's dependent on the normal flow, the normal channels that we're used to. So we've really got to throw the box out. Don't think outside of the box. We've got to throw the box out and get really creative. And one of those is that driveway buy by that we've been promoting and supporting for the last couple months. I'd say the last three months of, two, of 2020 and all of 2021 right now.
0: Hmm. Yeah, the case shape recovery is, is of concern to me. I know that uh, um, I've seen some information saying that there are certain job <clears throat> types, you know, you talked about stability and other underwriting factors where you can kind of profile an individual to determine, you know, you, you've already isolated, you know st- the stability factors tend to be one of the biggest things to move the needle relative to a forecast of of an ability uh, for the person to perform. Um, but with the the people that are in hospitality, travel, uh, restaurants, I'm really viewing their their employment situation right now to be structural in that it's going to take, so I have, I have a friend who's a professional in the hospitality industry, and he was telling me he's been out for, of work for a little while. And this is a pro; I mean, he managed uh, food and beverage for a big hotel, um, and uh, you know, th- this is like you know, it's it's a big job. But there's no job. There, so you, you talk about like the 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 hotel industry being down, the 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 air travel being down. Well, that's going to impact the rental cars as well, right? So there's. There's all these factors at play where it, where it spills over. But the individuals themselves, structurally, as far as I'm concerned, I just I had to tell my friend, I was like, dude, just hang in there. This has nothing to do with you. I know you're trying to find a job, but there is just no joy out there. There's no love. You're just going to have to be patient and wait. It's going to come back, but- you know, for, for, for lenders, I know a lot of them are looking at those types of jobs and, and, and kind of sharpening their, their pencil a little bit, and keeping an eye to make sure that they're not uh, on the wrong side of things. Well, I mean, quite frankly, I, I think it's just a fairness issue, right? So you look right. at back at the mortgage crisis, um, we, we started demonizing the individuals and, and, and in, in a lot of cases with good reason, they were packing people into loans that were beyond their financial kind of capability. But then, you know, from a bureau standpoint, I think they want the lender to really guide the customer in that equation and make sure that they don't get packed into something that they can't afford. And so for these individuals who have very shaky job prospects or maybe even not even a job, you know, it's going to be really hard for me to advocate saying, yeah, this is, this is a great credit risk. I understand they need a car. I understand they need transportation, but, you know, it may not be the right time to kind of pull that trigger I mean I think that's probably what a lot of lenders are thinking is what type of uh, what type of replenishment do I want to do with my portfolio because a lot of these right. you know it, especially with a deep subprime portfolio your portfolio will turn over uh, I know a guy locally that I think half is half is half his, half his uh, portfolio turns over every year
1: mm.
0: So he's gotta do, you know, half of that portfolio volume every year, just to just to keep the portfolio at a flat level.
1: That's tremendous, so flat, just to keep it at a flat level.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and so you've got the dealers maybe not making as much, but definitely charging more top line. And then the consumers are kind of taking it, are the lenders gonna give on the LTV to kind of help the consumers? Get into this car to at least or stretch the term, right? We've already been stretching terms to keep the cut, get the customer to be able to get in the car and afford it, provided that you know we're comfortable that they have some kind of good employment situation. Uh there's quite a lot here, I think, for the lenders to ponder, Paul, that you've brought to light with your analysis. I really appreciate it. Um the, the, the wholesale side and the repo moratoriums are something that obviously you and I have talked about extensively. With the National Automotive Finance Association, uh, we're, we're very proud to have an open line of communication with the, the CFPB. Obviously, you and me and, and others in the market are, are reliant on Repo Alliance to do the lobbying at the federal level that we need you know we think of it as just covering the recovery industry, but it's kind of a misnomer because you've got all these delinquent accounts that once you start skipping them as far as I'm concerned, it falls into this bucket. Right. So I think skip through uh, disposal. And look, prices go up. If you can get better wholesale returns for the consumer, they're going to be helped because it's less of a deficiency balance if they if they weren't able to satisfy that debt. But then again, they need to go buy a new car and then they're going to get front confronted. With these higher prices, you guys don't track anything on the private party sale markets, do you? To know because I would I would wonder if maybe private party sales, when you say the driveway buy, I think of, of you know going and you know, sending out whether it's a letter or or drive by or whatever, and you know, trying to trying to buy people's cars uh, to replenish your inventory. Right. Um,
1: but, um, do, do you have, do you ever track the P2P markets, Paul? Um, not only if it goes through one of our partners that are in that space. Mm. So, one of our partners in that space uh, shared a, an interesting statistic with me the other night. They said that they are, uh, that the private party space sells more used vehicles than the entire new car and independent market combined.
0: Oh, I, I absolutely believe it.
1: Right. And, I mean, and when you think about that number, it's tremendous. And their goal, this company's goal, is to own two percent to five percent of that market space. That's like saying, and, and I, I throw, I, I, I talk about Carmax, Carvana, and Vroom, and what they've sold as independents because they're basically online yeah. independent details, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And if if you segment new car franchise, used vehicle sales, and independent used car dealers nationwide, the We've always averaged between 38 and 40 million used vehicle sales in that, in that space consistently every year. And it's about a 50-50 split between the new car franchise dealers and the independent market. When you take Carvana Room and, and CarMax and you put their numbers in the mix, those three, three independents are responsible for 5% of what the used vehicle in, uh, independent dealers selling today. That's a significant number.
0: Well, that's, that's a big whale to be hitting the auctions, right? I mean, you take right. those three together. Do you guys track uh, any ideas as how their inventories are moved? Like, are they actually accumulating inventories? They're are buying they, a lot.
1: Are they, directly, they, they do yeah. a lot of driveway buys. Oh, they do? Oh, yeah. They're buying a lot directly from customers. You know, even customers who don't want to sell it, who don't want to buy a vehicle, they just buy it outright. So yeah. Private private part, the driveway buy to me, is a, is a customer who wants to sell their vehicle without the commitment to buy another one from somebody else. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And think about that landscape. And it's really not hurting the auction space because the auctions are selling out on just about everything they're selling right now.
0: I saw some guy do a post yesterday or two days ago, and he said he, he hit the record for yes. the most vehicles sold in a single day. A 1,000 units. Over a thousand units, and uh, I saw it. At first, I thought it was a retailer, and I thought, <coughs> "Oh my goodness, how how big is your operation? Like you must be like a, like a Carvana, right?" Because I mean, Longo Toyota
1: long does that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that was an auction. That was an auction, right? So they right. had over a thousand vehicles sold. There you have it. I mean, I, I've never seen a supply and demand equation like this. I mean, even with the Great Recession, what were we doing then, Paul? Cash for clunkers. we were trying to bring vehicles and inventory out of out of commission right this is a totally different game we don't have chips we don't have cars um yeah i'm in the market to buy a i want to i want to get a tacoma i want to i've got a highlander i want to get a tacoma i just got too many things i need a flatbed for but (laughs) five thousand over msrp and i'm like hey bro good luck i know you'll find somebody to sell to you will uh, it's just not me. I'm not going to yeah. buy until things come back to a sane level. Do you think that the consumers on the on the super prime side, they're still super prime through prime. They're still buying, right? They're oh, still out. And they're the
1: main reason why we hit yeah. the, the, the sales we did last year. Yeah. The super prime and prime market is the number one reason why we were successful in, in getting the sales we did get last year.
0: Yeah. And subprime keeps going down. It's been going down since 2015. If you listen to the podcast, you'd see that or hear about that. Um, I think Melinda talked about that with Experian and um, yeah. I do encourage folks to, you know, to keep checking out the data sources. Uh, Paul, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll probably wrap it up here. I'll give you the last word, but before that, I want to, I want to certainly thank you for joining. I want to thank the Black Book team. Um, I've, I've known you guys and, and been working with you guys for years and uh, definitely quality data and information. Um, you know, why don't you give us a couple uh key takeaways or any you know final thoughts that you may have for uh for the folks that that are acting in the space I like how you break it down for the uh you know the folks that are involved in the wholesale markets maybe have repo uh wholesale uh managers at, at lenders or the lenders themselves with their program I mean we talked about a number of things I mean maybe give us some final thoughts for things that they sure. may consider or take action on in the near term
1: Uh, So I think a really good strategy for lenders that are holding large portfolios uh, and fleet companies uh, is to take a look at what they can offload now because the markets are just crazy uh, and and take advantage of that. I think lenders and investment groups uh, who are trying to understand what could happen in the next six months should take advantage of our custom scenario-based residual value studies. Uh, And we base those off of scenarios that you you come to us and say, I'd like to understand if this green new deal really goes all the way through, what would my portfolio look like if gas prices go north of $4 a gallon again? Uh, you Because know, 75% of our portfolio are full-size trucks and SUVs. Uh, what would happen to, to the market space? What would happen if there's another pandemic that came across? Uh, what would happen if there was another um, earthquake in Japan or uh, another big freeze in Texas or another flood in Louisiana, what would those inventories look like? I mean, how can we we better prepare ourselves based on those analyses? And that is one of the things that our data science team has been very busy doing uh, since the beginning of this pandemic is helping people understand uh, custom scenario-based studies. Uh, Then the last piece, Is better decisions when it comes to acquiring inventory, financing inventory, and disposing of inventory by understanding the true valuation of that inventory. We can no longer accept the old business model of business as usual. Yeah. Um, You know, the analytics that we have today, that BlackBook has today, there's nobody in the vertical that can give the kind of precision of market valuation like we can and identify where anybody who has, who's managing an inventory and I can identify two or three areas that a few process changes can equate to millions and do- millions of dollars of recovery. I'm not yeah. talking about making additional money. The money's already there. Just modify a few processes and you can collect some of it.
0: This is where the money's at. You know, when, when the <laughs> pandemic started, I thought that there was going to be uh, lender attrition, um, Broad-based delinquency and uh, recoveries, uh, and probably the opposite effect of what we have here with an oversupply. And uh, this is where the money's at, right? If you're if you're over there worrying about customer delinquency and all this other stuff, I'm not to say that it's not something to concern yourself with. And your your particular business, based off what you're buying, you know, you may have a lot of people on the lower K of the recovery, and and that's why everybody has their own reasons, right? But this is where the, this is where the light is, right? This is where you gotta be looking. And, uh, I, 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 you couldn't have asked me to predict this at the onset of the pandemic. You really couldn't have. And what happened with this to me, Paul, is it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? So on one side it's, it's negative, right? we got increased prices to the consumer, um, Good, good for the lenders who are offloading inventory and, and able to take advantage. They've got the, the inventory dry powder. But, you know, on the negative side, it's just these increased prices and LTVs to the lenders. And, you know, what is this going to look like? Kind of thinking about the old housing sh- uh, short sales. What is this gonna look like when the customer's paying, you know, $550 for a vehicle that they could purchase two years down, you know, two years in? They see they could buy this same vehicle and pay only $200 a month. What's going to be their interest in continuing to pay? So at that time, I say, that's when you start looking at the consumer and your workouts and all that. But for now, it's it's all about that inventory, the underwriting, uh, everything collateral based, right? And right. some consumer thrown in with the lower leg of the K recovery. You know, if, if I was in a risk position and my CEO was like, what, you know, give me a, a download and a skinny on that,
1: I would. I would I would use this information. This is great. So I think the CFPB is going to impact the lower leg. When they they're going to make some decisions that will that will um, influence the lending criteria for the lower leg. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and which will be a benefit. Yeah. You know, as we know, consumer finance protection bureau anything they can do to protect the consumer and help the consumer, it's a good time for them to to really step up and take and say, here's the programs we're going to put in place. Think of cash for clunkers. I think you'll yeah. we'll see something similar like that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I don't have a I'm not using a magic eight ball. I'm using the data in front of me and say something's got to give.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, this is this has been a, a real pleasure. We've got Paul Machine. He's the director of international and U.S. strategic accounts for BlackBook. Paul, thank you so much. Very enlightening and uh, actionable information for all the listeners to kind of take into account. And uh, I just can't thank you enough. Thank you so much,
1: Paul, from Black. Thank you, Joel. It's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, brother.
0: The Consumer Fi podcast has been brought to you by Nortridge, loan software that accelerates change. We'd also like to thank the National Automotive Finance Association, the only trade association exclusively serving the non-prime auto financing industry.